HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Two percent, two percent, two percent. Uh, the two percent's right over here. Oh, hey, Jenna. I didn't know you shopped here. Uh, yeah, anything to support local food, know what I mean? I definitely do. Though that's not the only thing you do in the name of Good Eats, obviously. Well, true. I also host Eating Matters every Wednesday at 5 p.m. where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. Be sure to tune in. All right, gotta get the plug in there, I get it. Yep, I'm hashtag shameless. You know what else you can do to support the local food community, right? Well, yeah. Make a donation to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. That's right. And I gotta call you out on the whole local thing. What do you mean? Well, The Farm Report, A Taste of the Past, Japan Eats. Those are shows that take you around the country and the world. I'll give you that. So how can listeners give their support? It's pretty easy. Just go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the big red heart in the top right corner. It's pretty easy from there. Thanks. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes.
Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. Boom. That was the star child and the new romantics. In the mood. Porch's cover. Yeah. Great version of Porch's doing that song uh, on their episode of Snacky Tunes and the archives. Uh, just a note, Snacky Tunes is produced by Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit member-supported radio station devoted to all things food and music. Help keep, help keep HRN alive by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Do it now. Seriously. Do it now. Do it now. We do good work. We do good work. Um, uh, if it was the holiday season, I'd say it makes a great holiday gift. But it's still summer. Uh, I'm one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. And I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. It's been a while. It's been a while. And it'll probably be, well, will be a long time here. But it's, it's good to be uh, in the studio. So Star Child will be on later in the show playing live. Uh, but right now we have a couple of guys from Wine Enthusiast Magazine. Welcome to the radio show. N- Niels Bernstein uh, is a writer extraordinaire and New Mexico... Not New Mexico. I think it's the old Mexico. Mexico old Me- City. Mexico City. The original Mexico. The original. And Not that new new, but that old old. And Jameson Fink is the senior digital editor as well. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Great to be here. Thanks. Uh, opening question. Wine and Skittles... That would, that, that would be me. That would be That's a question. That's a question. Question mark. And potato chips, I think, too. Uh, yeah, well, just sort of the way I have, uh, this was at the International Food Blogger Conference. I actually learned this uh, idea of, of understanding wine pairing from a, a Canadian sommelier, Evan, who taught me a lot. But it's just, you just put on a plate, you put Skittles, potato chips, some soft cheese, some firm cheese, and then you just open a bunch of wines and, you, and jalapeno slices, and then you just kind of try... Um, Skittles with Riesling, and maybe that's great. Maybe it's awful with, with Cabernet. But uh, it was really interesting. The one thing I remember from doing that exercise at the blogger conference was uh, someone saying, like, like I think the Riesling's best with the green Skittles. Like they totally got so into it and like tried to like pair with each individual Skittle flavor. So that's where that's where everyone else goes. Eh, we've gone too far. So, no, I just thought the student the student had become the teacher. So for those who are not familiar with uh, Wine Enthusiast magazine, which is completely their fault. Please explain to them what the magazine is and, and how long it's been around. Well, um, what is Wine Enthusiast? You know, I mean, it goes without saying that, obviously, wine is a huge component of it. Uh, I think it's a really, you know, I started with the magazine in November, and just with our, our staff and our team, it's really accessible. It's for people who are excited about wine, regular wine drinkers. There's also a lot in there for those who want to get a little geekier, a little more in-depth about, like, Italian Pinot Grigio or uh, Coastal California Chardonnays, but then there's a lot of uh, it's a lot of stuff that I worked on in um, the Crush section, which is in the beginning part of the magazine. That's about a little more about food, a little more trend driven, a little more uh, art driven, and um, there's also great beer and cocktail content as well and travel. It just it's just a lot. It's more of a it casts a, a wide net. I mean, the core it's always going to be about wine, but we like to explore all the things that people who enjoy drinking wine enjoy. Yeah, it's kind of the lifestyle around wine. Gotcha. I guess, and all that entails. And it's been around since 1988. I mean, so then the, the question begs, like, how have you seen the shift in the magazine? Uh, I mean, wine's, I think, more popular than it's ever been. Except for maybe Rome. Old Rome. <laughs> Not that new yeah. Rome. Yeah. Yeah. For, but that yeah. was more just carafes of wine. But, like, wine has definitely hit mainstream yeah. uh, culture in a way that it had never been seen. Yeah, no question. I think the whole interest in food culture in general, wine sure. being a food, is is part of that. And, uh, but I mean, I think wine was one of like the last bastions of food culture, just because it's a little, right. little less accessible. Yeah, for sure. I think also, you know, we're really lucky in the U.S. where we have such a uh, a bigger uh, variety of wines available mm-hmm. to us in a wider variety of places. And even in really small uh, towns in the U.S., you can get a really great assortment of wines that elsewhere in the world you tend to find only the wines that are like regional. Uh, yeah, which uh, really isn't necessarily the case here. So. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it's gotten uh, people interested in wine have gotten uh, younger. There's there's more. They come from a more diverse uh, background. I mean, I'm a corny dude. I'm just going to say that, I mean, it's it's really a great time to be a wine drinker. I mean, as corny as that is, yeah. it's really true. I mean, and not just, we're, you know, we're here in New York, which is an incredible place to be drinking wine, but really, uh, you know, on, on both coasts, uh, in Chicago, in Kansas City, uh, all over the country, I think the... Um, you know, availability and variety and, and people's 
as our wine culture emerges, people are are more into trying new things and feeling more comfortable. And I think, you know, with, with what we see on food menus being so uh, adventurous and all these ingredients that maybe 20 years ago no one would, would know of, I think maybe we're starting to see that with different wine grapes, wine regions, and things like that. And I think with the Internet, there's a lot more... Uh, ways for people to find out about wine, to learn about the background of wine, the history, the culture, the place, the people that make it. So, in addition to wine becoming more popular, um, have you, what is more of like the lifestyle shift? You know, I mean, I assume when the magazine started, it was mostly f- focused on wine. Yeah. But like, what slowly became integrated and now what goes hand in hand um, that's become sort of like a pillar of the magazine? I think it used to be around wine, it, it was a lot of. Uh, the hundred point system. Sure. There was a kind of a, a sense that there were gatekeepers that told you what was what you should or shouldn't drink. And I think that's really fallen away and what people are more interested around wine is who are the people making it? What do the, the vineyards look like? What's the, the what's the culture surrounding it? What's the people when people travel, they're looking to go to restaurants to taste local wines, things like that, that maybe 20 years ago, that's not what they were looking to do when they traveled. So I think the way that wine culture has been integrated into uh, travel and food and and uh, everything else that people care about culturally. Um, what's been one of the best stories that you've seen in the new modern, so maybe five years, unexpected sort of success stories of either a region or a winemaker that really exemplifies the new type of wine culture? Well, I, I can think of a couple things. One would be rosé, dry rosé. I mean, it's something that I've enjoyed for years, and just um, the uh, explosion in popularity of it uh, is really uh, um, one of my favorite things that I've seen happen in the last few years. I mean, it's it's so popular. It's, you know, I mean, it's almost mainstream. I, I mean, you could go in almost any wine shop and restaurant and find at least one dry rosé by the glass, if not more. And um, I think people are also starting to experiment with that there's not just one style of rosé. There are a lot of different styles of rosés, different grapes, different countries. I'd say that and maybe grower champagne. um, Which is? Which is basically it's a champagne that's made by the, like the, the people who own the vineyards make the champagne. They make it from their own grapes, and it's not something where they purchase grapes or things like that. So it's uh, it's definitely more of a, a smaller production type of uh, champagne, and that is uh, in contrast to you know a lot of the larger producers of champagne, which, which still make great champagne, but it's just something that's kind of a... a, a you know, something that started very geeky and niche, and I think you're starting to see these these kinds of champagnes. And people actually drinking champagne and sparkling wine, not just to celebrate, too, I think has been huge. And rosé is like that, too, where it's not just a summer drink. People are drinking it year-round. So I think for me, the as a lover of rosé and sparkling wines, to see them become more uh, at the dinner table and year-round, and not just for celebrations or summer, it's great. And for, mm-hmm. for Nils, for like um, the approach, I mean, I guess both of you as well, but the pe- the way in which people write about wine, the way in which they talk about it, um, how has that kind of shifted over over the years? Mm-hmm. Well, I think again, it's it's become less about this very uh, specific kind of about tasting and scoring and really ranking these wines. Like I have ten wines, and this is the number one, the number two, the number three. It's more about uh, it's a much more democratic approach to it, I guess. Um, talking more about the the variety of flavors, that it has a lot more to do with personal taste. There's always a story behind a bottle of wine, whether mm-hmm. it's the people, the place, any. there's a million stories behind every well-made bottle of wine. Uh, and I think that's more what people want to hear about rather than being told that something's quote-unquote good or bad. Right. And any uh, trend that you have seen that because, you know, with all the good, there will come some bad when things become popular and in the mainstream. Have you seen something that you've just, like, shaken your head at in the last couple of years because of the popularity? Or something that people have, like, latched onto because they're still so new to it, like, they kind of, like, don't totally understand, like, what they're promoting? I mean, I would say for me, I mean, I'm just so wishy-washy about this, but um, not wishy-washy. I actually feel strongly about this. I mean, I just kind of focus on what's what's going on in the world of wine that's that's positive and upbeat and and right. And I think, you know, that's part of the issue or the... uh, Mission of the magazine too is just to to highlight, to celebrate, to encourage. So um, there's you know, like I said, the things that 
I want I want people to be excited about wine and whatever choices they're making. Hey, if they're drinking wine and they're kind of getting their way into the world of wine and maybe they've latched onto something that's quote unquote trendy or passe or uh, too esoteric, um, I'm just like glad that they're kind of you know in that wine drinking tent and then. Um, uh, you know, maybe they'll be reading the magazine and be inspired or, uh, or the website and, uh, you know, come to a, a new understanding or go down a different road. I'm more dismayed about generalizations around wine that sure. all Chardonnay is a certain way, all Pinot Grigio is a certain way, all Prosecco is simplistic and low end. These kind of, uh, uh, that's more what I'm concerned about are these kind of uh, overriding generalizations that make people less apt to try the variety of stuff out there yeah i mean also like i still i mean as someone who is a a drink wine but casual knowledge base it still seems at times impenetrable and with like new varieties and regions and everything um opening up like i mean i I think you know the times does a really good job of like introducing new types of wines and obviously it just seems like the wealth of knowledge is so daunting so as experienced wine drinkers Mm -hmm. What are like, and I know that people have asked me, like, what are some maybe like more kind of mid-level tips of people who are starting to, they've kind of got their entry level down, but like they're kind of ready for the next level of education or entry. Like, how do you crack that open? I think for me, I mean, I have a lot of experience working in, in wine shops, and I think one of the best things to do is take advantage of all the tastings that are going on. I mean, that's a really great way to learn, and a lot of times these tastings are free, and it, the person pouring is, is either going to be a knowledgeable employee who's excited about the wines. It might be the winemaker themselves. It might be a, a salesperson or a distributor or someone who works for an importer, and for me, that's a great way in kind of a low-key environment where they're just casually pouring wines where you can either... You know, maybe you're just going to taste three wines and then slowly back away, or maybe you're going to um, become really engaged and start asking questions. And, you, and it's a great way to get more comfortable in a low pressure situation where it's not like um, I don't know some stereotype of an intimidating um, wine encounter. But uh, I would encourage people to uh, take advantage of as many wine tastings as they can, and I think that's a great way to expand your your repertoire, repertoire of what you know, uh, wine wise, grape wise, countries, and and then maybe you know go home and you know read up on it. You know, in the privacy of your own home, take one of those bottles home and pour yourself a glass and read about you know the Loire Valley or something like that. I think. Um I think the most important thing is really to, uh, I mean, I completely agree with everything Jameson said, and part of doing that is is getting to really understand what you like in a wine. I think most people would say in a white wine, for example, that they like a crisp, dry white wine. However, I think there's many people that don't like a crisp, dry white wine. They might like a fuller body, they might like a little sweetness, but they just, there's a, a often a difference of what people think they like or should like versus what they actually like. And part of just tasting as much as you can is really getting to learn what sorts of grapes, region, styles you like. And then from there, you're able to have a more educated conversation with a retailer or what you're searching for online, talking to a sommelier at a restaurant. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick musical break, and then we're going to come back and talk about 100 Best Wine Restaurants 2016, why you guys are actually here. Not for Darren and I to self-educate ourselves. Um, But we're going to play a quick track from Ducky. Uh, who played her song Dust live on Snacky Tunes and Never New Ears back, and then we'll be back with Wine Enthusiast Magazine. Okay. And right. 
and earth collide watching hell 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 and earth collide we are back with Jameson and Nails talking the 100 best wine restaurants 2016. So let's just kind of start from the beginning of this. Uh, and what I love the most is that the categorization of it breaks it down so it's not just like 100 lifted by region everything. Um, and just for those who are not uh, in the know, it's classics, grand openings, tasting menus, great glass programs, laser focus, steakhouse 2.0, and my favorite, not to be missed for the un categorized category um we can start at any one of these but i think for me the best is the kind of the great glass programs because i think that to go back to the entry level stuff the great the best place to start with the glass so what kind of goes into a great glass program i think glass programs are really important because mm-hmm. a restaurant can have five thousand bottles but how many are you really drinking in a given with a given dinner um so really, a place that has an interesting glass program is, uh, that's how they kind of, uh, that's how you can really see what their passions are and what their interest is. And if you're, if you're thinking in terms that a great wine program is all about discovery and turning you on to new things, the glass program is really the best way to do that. And I really think also what's cool is places that offer uh, glass pours in different sizes, yep. too. So you can have a full glass or a half glass, and uh, that's an especially great way to... Uh, you know, try new. Try you know, you have three or four dishes. You can have like you know, three or four small pours of something. Especially when you get to the you know, the tasting menu mm-hmm. idea. That's a great way to have you know, a lot of small courses and a lot of small amounts of wine that you can try with each course. Yeah, yeah. a lot of times those tasting menus you're wrecked <laughs> halfway through. <laughs> totally, you're like on a mousse and four ounces on a mousse and four ounces, and you're just like uh, exactly. Um, but so you know, in going into to this, how big is the team? Who's making the selections? You know, I mean, it's really it's some of the best restaurants in America that a lot of people know, and then some little ones on like yeah. the coast of Oregon. Like, yeah. it's a really awesome mix in a really interesting way. Like Jory in Oregon, yeah. it's like just a small tucked away, like on like you know Western Oregon, not like near Portland, but not in the same kind of stuff like Ava Jean's, which is also on there. Yeah. Well, I think luckily everybody that uh, that we work with lives and breathes this kind of thing, so. Throughout the year, regardless of this issue, we're going to restaurants, we're drinking wine, we're, right. we're doing this anyways. So it's really a mix of everybody that we're, the writers, editors, staffers, friends, colleagues, anybody that we're really, that we work with, that we really trust, and just getting input from all over. And are people sending you stuff, like, just even in the network, be like, oh, I'm, I'm here for work, I'm at this restaurant, they have a killer wine program? Yeah, often. And, and yeah. how long does it, st- like, are you thinking... Are there stuff that didn't make it quite this year, but you've noted, like, if they can hit one or two more points, yeah, for we're going to sure. go back next year? I mean, like, the grand openings, for example, are restaurants that opened since January of 2015, um, which I would still consider to be really new. new. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, often they you might go somewhere that just opened, and you know that it, it has that potential, but you can't really, you know, they need to kind of settle in for a minute and see... Uh, get their act together a little bit. And Big, biggest and surprise, I would say, that you discovered, like, what's... Like, what restaurant and what city you were, you had no idea they would have such an amazing wine program? I think there's a lot of, um, one thing that's really interesting is people will solicit to be considered for the list and whatnot. And sure. They're like, we have a, a very successful, fancy restaurant with a gigantic wine list, but that's not really enough. There's a lot of restaurants that uh, have really elaborate, serious wine programs that didn't make it because maybe the food, the atmosphere, the service just didn't feel that, that interesting. Uh, and there might be somewhere else that has a really tiny wine list that's incredibly interesting and dynamic and changing all the time. And that was something that... So unlike... I mean, it's really interesting to think about it this way because you know the wine list before you go in there. Unlike, you know, restaurant reviews. So is the process that you'll look at, like, the wine list first and then you go check out the food? Or, or how how is it approached? Or... I mean, it's it's definitely a combination of things. I mean, look, it's wine restaurants. I mean, wine is... Excuse me is 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 of paramount importance, but there are a lot of other factors to consider about the whole dining experience. But certainly, wine is at the the forefront of that decision making. And it is interesting now that you can see wine lists online, which is really a relatively new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But it's also, you know, somebody might have a really interesting wine list and then the staff doesn't know anything about it. Right. Or So so knowledgeable staff, like all of that kind of goes into the selection process as well. I think so. I think so. And I think really something uh, both on the wine and the food side, and it extends to design and the whole vibe about the restaurant, is something that really feels like it has a lot of personality, feels unique, feels that it's something that reflects the passion of the staff. So what cities right now are leading sort of the wine conversation Mm -hmm. and what restaurants are speaking the loudest? I think you can't deny that New York and San Francisco are the two in the U.S. that are really driving that. I think Chicago, L.A., uh, I mean, in in a sense, it's a lot of the cities that are driving the conversation in a lot of things. Houston, Atlanta, it's... uh, uh, you know, it's funny. I would not think of Atlanta or Houston as wine countries, but I guess with the food revolutions that are happening there and more restaurants, is it sort of where, for lack of a better way of saying it, where the more money is for dining and that's sort of part of hand in hand with what's driving the wine conversation? Yeah, I mean, you know, you have to think about um, uh, going out to eat where you're you're having multiple courses, you're you're drinking wine, and that's certainly you know that requires money. That's certainly a factor in it. But I mean, one of the places we have on the list is FLX Weenery. Oh yeah, uh, up in the Finger Lakes, and that's a place where you go and you have great burgers and dogs and fries, and they also have like a really cool wine program. You can bring in your Finger Lakes wine for no corkage fee, and it's a really it's one of the more fun places you can drink wine. And I think it kind of turns that idea on its head a little bit about uh, as far as price and accessibility. But, but I think cities like Houston and Atlanta, for us in New York, it, uh, they seem a little far-flung for driving the wine and food conversation. But in those cities, they, it's, they're, they're big cities sure. that are important culturally. And I think, uh, and again, like you're saying, with the food revolution is happening really everywhere. Yeah. Um, but like one, one interesting restaurant is uh, Kindred in Davidson, North Carolina, mm-hmm. which is about a half hour north of Charlotte. And it's just, it's phenomenal. It would be a top restaurant in any city. But the fact that they have that kind of food and interesting wine program and really pushing the conversation there, I think it means that it's a restaurant that will have a lot more impact in that region. And there's, so it's kind of interesting to see like what, what makes a, a great wine restaurant in New York versus a great, a great wine restaurant in rural North Carolina, kind of different criteria. One of the, there are two of the categories that I am, particularly in love with is also the the classic but also steakhouse 2.0 yeah because uh, i think what's really great about the magazine is that it'd be really easy to focus on just natural wines or the new new and everything but you have a really good spectrum of you know who's been doing it and you know, getting people used to wine for years that's allowed the way for this revolution so uh you know you can pick either one of your favorites but like what goes into a really good classic wine list or to a steakhouse 2.0 and, and maybe there's some intersection there as well well i'll say about the steakhouse 2.0 I know. I think um, at steakhouses, both the food and the wine are, are evolving to where, um, I mean, you know, when you go to a steakhouse, you know, you're probably going to get steak. But if, if you don't want to, a lot of these places have, I mean, really good other options, too. And then the wine where you think maybe typically it's it's Cabernet and, uh, you know, that cab in a slab thing. But <laughs> there's a, um, you know, Matt Ketman, one of our... Uh, Editors in California wrote a, a column for the magazine about steakhouse uh, pinots, and that Pinot Noir, you know, you think of as kind of light and delicate, but there are some really uh, more full-bodied pinots that are great steak wines. So I think you're seeing um, the wine programs at steakhouses and the food ones. You know, look, it's about steak, and a lot of it's about Cabernet and rich wines, but they're also expanding the menus t- towards other maybe lighter fare and the wines too as well. So I think that's sort of the key driving point of a, a steakhouse 2.0, both both on the food side and the wine side. And I think something we try to do at the magazine is kind of knock down a lot of the dogma surrounding wine and Mm -hmm. wine and food pairing. And that's really been happening a lot at steakhouses. Like Jameson was saying, there's people that are really promoting a lot of people that would argue that maybe Shiraz and Pinot Noir are better uh, pairings with steak than Cabernet is. There's uh, or champagne. Champagne and steak is phenomenal. Dynamite. Um, And so I think these places, it's really, really, really exciting to see these places, whether they're new steakhouses or really classic ones, really trying to uh, to broaden the idea of what a steakhouse wine list looks like and what you're kind of allowed to drink with steak or not. Uh, so uh, before we get out of here, what was the best bottle you had and where this last year? 
That question might need to be retired to ask wine people, but we'll we'll, we'll slip it in. <laughs> Why does it have to be retired? Look, it's look, it's subjective, obviously. Yeah. But your favorite memory of a bottle, what was it and where this past year? Uh, mine was, um, well, I wish I had a more um, romantic, evocative setting for it. That's fine. It. Okay, it was, uh, it was my apartment. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I had this bottle from um, Southhold Farm and Cellar there on um, Long Island, and it was a, uh, a, a fizzy Chardonnay, what they call a, a pet mat, and it was... Um, just like a very fizzy, fun, fresh wine, and it came in this um, swing. It came in a swing top bottle, like like Grolsch beer. Yeah. And I just was so I was so delighted by that. Yeah. Like it, it just, it just sort of the, the packaging of it just charmed me. And then when I poured it and drank it, it just seemed like the embodiment of that kind of swing top fun, where just it was really fresh and fun and delightful. And you know, and it wasn't you know like a famous Bordeaux Chateau or you know Grand Cru Burgundy or you know, blah, blah, blah. But um, I just think, you know, there's like a time and a place and a setting where, you know, a lot of times when I get asked this question, I just want to be like, oh, God, what was the most expensive thing I drank recently? Was it like the unicorn wine that no one else could drink that I could <laughs> brag about on the radio? But, um, you know, really, that's when I think about like last year and, and something that brought me unexpected delight and pleasure, it was that model. That's a good answer. That's a great answer. <laughs> um, I just, I remember at Easter this year with a really delicious, a friend who made Easter dinner, a really amazing, fatty, awesome Easter ham. And I convinced everyone to try drinking a 1988 Sauterne uh, with that as a savory, normally a dessert wine. Yeah. Um, but one that has a really high acidity. So even though it's sweet, I think it can go really well with savory foods. And there was something about watching this whole table of people kind of get converted to the idea of sweet wines in general and then the idea of drinking it with an Easter ham. I think people were just uh, really blown away and it's fun to see people's expectations completely fly out the window. Uh, and the, my last question will have nothing to do with wine, but tell me about the riot dish section of this because that was actually such an enjoyable thing to see on the hundred uh, restaurants that I think people would love to learn more about. Well, we asked all the restaurants if there was a dish that we called the riot dish that people would riot if they took off the menu. And as you know now, people pride themselves on how often they change the menus and that, oh, you know, we actually don't have a riot dish because we change the menu every day and yeah. we're so dynamic. But really, everyone had one when it really came down to there's the dishes that even if they do change the menu all the time, that they always come back to because people are so crazy about them. And I think it's... It, when you talk about the restaurants like this that are really these favorite restaurants that have become really important in their communities, there's always, it's a, it's a good, uh, it reflects well on the restaurant that they have these dishes that people really, that become part of their family almost, that people take it really personally if they go there and can't have them. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, well, Niels, Jameson, thank you so much for coming on. Wine Enthusiast Magazine 100 Best Wine Restaurants 2016 is out on shelves now. And uh, online component. And too. online component as well, which is really great. Um, plan your road trips now. Get your reservations in last week. Thank you to Melanie for helping set this up. Yep. Really appreciate it. Um, we have a song from Blood Orange, uh, from his early days in the Blood Orange career. And then we have Star Child and the New Romantic coming up live in studio next here on Snacky Tunes.
seem to ignore The alcohol you stole, never bore The bed you wake up in, that's not your own The night you worked out, your end go out there. It's Steve Jenkins. I'm with Fairway Markets. White Leghorn, Red Wattle, Bourbon Red, Navajo Churro. Well, these aren't names you're likely to hear at a Fairway butcher counter or any other counter today, but before the rise of factory farming, you would have. And at Heritage Foods USA, you still do. Heritage Foods USA exists to promote genetic diversity, small family farms, and a fully traceable food supply. You see, we believe the best way to help a family farmer is to buy from them. And Heritage Foods is honored to represent a network of family farmers and artisanal producers whose work presents an immeasurable gift to our food system and to biodiversity. The meat we celebrate, whether it's Heritage Turkey, Japanese Steaks, Berkshire Pork, or Navajo Churro Lamb Chops is the righteous kind from healthy animals of sound genetics that have been treated humanely and allowed to pursue their natural instincts. It's a simple fact. Animals raised according to this philosophy taste better. And as we like to say, you have to eat them to save them. Visit us at HeritageFoodsUSA.com for more information. Oh, yeah. Eat them to save them. Welcome back. Star Child, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Hey, guys. How's it going? Doing pretty good. Love that shirt. Yeah, man. Thank you. That is... That Classic is, Twin Shadow. Shout out to George. Shouts out to George. Papi. He's holding it down uh, Ten of the Tree right now for his weekend, <laughs> Twin Sunday. He does like a food dance party attendance out in L.A. Really? Yeah. That's oh. really cool. Couple of dance-offs. Mm-hmm. He always looks... He all, like, I always roll in on Sunday looking bedraggled. <laughs> Fresh. Yeah. Always looks fresh. He's always fresh. Uh, so, uh, welcome to the show. Hey. Really good to have you here. Nice to talk to brothers, man. Twins. Yeah. Are you a brother? Twins. Yeah, I'm one of four. Really? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. What uh, What were you guys playing in the house? What music was on the stereo growing up? Um, A lot of, like, Stevie Wonder, I think. A lot of, like, Stevie Wonder Genius Cycle mm. type stuff. Um, we, we went to, like, a... A, a pretty poppin' church called Union Temple in, in Southeast D.C. Had a great music, like, uh, division. 
And so we got a lot of that and uh, a lot you, of Michael Jackson. Were you involved in the uh, church of, music program? Uh, no, I wasn't. My, my mother uh, was growing up. But uh, we got a lot of that. And then we also got, like, all the great 90s radio stuff. Like, I was a huge DMX fan. Like, Jay, um, like Jay-Z, early Rockefeller, Bad Boys, Nelly. Like, uh, that, And then we moved to Atlanta. Uh, and we went to the middle school and high school that like, Usher and Sierra and all these kids went to. So that was, like... That's where we got a lot of so classic Motown gospel pop R and B R and B and then also I was um, I spent a little time at, in in the Unification Church which has its weird uh, kind of like connection to John Denver which okay. was probably my first entrance into like <laughs> traditional you know Caucasian folk music right for lack of better phrase. I- I think did John <laughs> did, you, Denver, did you grow yeah. any affinity for that or is Oh, like, I love Country Roads. Are you serious? Okay. And then it's weird being a But like of, everyone but I mean everyone loves that song? Yeah. N- any other John Denver songs? Well, that was like the only one we were supposed to sing, oh, okay. but I did see his like biography movie and had a little affinity towards his stories. Sad tragic figures. I mean, it's good uh, storytelling. Really good storytelling. Great storytelling. Great storytelling. More than just like as much as I love Sierra, like Ride It is not the most I mean that's a great story too, but like, but Sierra's catalogs is is wide and vast too. Like she has yeah. a song like Promise, and Promise sure. is is one of the best written songs of that decade. Like you know, yeah, that's and produced and performed. That song is amazing. So yeah. going up, yeah. growing, going to that high school was that just like kind of like all the middle school, middle school. Yeah, I'm sorry, it's okay. Um, going to the middle school was I uh, all the kids like listened to it like that was just like the predominantly on like the playlist or other th- just yeah. <laughs> I mean like it was crazy. Like I remember the week where like. Uh, Get Richard Die Trying came out. Yeah. It was like the month and like the Love Below came out and all that stuff and people having debates over what's the better like album and and I was like always the guy who was like trying to put each record in their proper context. Oh, it's like, like listen, you know, I, I get like, what you're hey. saying. I mean, no, no, look, I was in Atlanta, so there was like predominant. There was a lot of black folk, but there was a lot, like a lot of white kids who loved classic rock, and I'd have to have full on arguments about why like. You know, Jimmy Page's like pentatonic solos ain't really cutting it against like Carlos Santana or something like that. Like, you know what I mean? But like, this is sixth grade, you yeah, know? Right. And they don't really understand. I was like, no, but like, you have to understand where like, if Jimmy Page was sitting here right now, he would be like, he would be agreeing with me. Yeah, he would be. He'd be like, he's right. He's right. Like, <laughs> you know? like note for note, he's right. Like, I can't argue with. Or that. like Guns N' Roses. I mean, but I love all. The, I love everything. So when did you start uh, getting into making your own music, or how did that kind of come about? Um, you know, I, I was born in 92, so, like, all the kids know the day when they got a, a cell phone or got, like, mm-hmm. internet access, you know, or, like, a Mac kind of access, so sure. I think around the time I got GarageBand at some point in, in middle school, it was like, oh, here are the Pharrell-esque tools for me to assemble these musical ideas that have always, you know, been around. I think by that time, the idea of making your own music had become uh, way more accessible than... Absolutely. Like, we, because we, we grew up... We were born in 82. Mm-hmm. And the idea of, like, making a record or making music really until, like, Mac just became and Garage Band was like, oh, wait, you can actually make music? Unless you had a guitar or something like that. Right. So was your approach, uh, like, did you just, like, play around with beats and loops and singing or did you have, like, any musical training or was it more, like, computer program first and then other stuff mm-hmm. came in? Well, my, all of my musical training was kind of steeped in, I'm uh, in like tenor saxophone and symphonic marching band oh, nice. and I kind of like taught myself all the other instruments but in terms of like music production it was like I went straight to making beats and rapping and like me and my brothers used to rap and stuff and I would be the one who would cut up all the samples and like chop it up and <laughs> favorite marching band song though oh man in marching band yeah it's like it's a it's a dead heat tie between like Earth, Wind, and Fire in the Stone and, like, Cameo talking out the side of your neck. It's like, <laughs> you know, man, because those horn lines are just nasty. Yeah. Um, can we get a song? Yeah, sure. What are you going to play for us um, first? Fittingly, I'll play one of the first songs when I transitioned from rapping predominantly to singing songwriting. What's it called? It's called All My Lovers. Okay, great. Live on Snacky Tunes.
quite a lot of lovers I know that you're used to these parts of town Maybe I'm new to this type of rapture And it's been mighty hard getting down to you All night long I spend with the love of mine Here and after the one that's on my mind Cause all of my lovers They look the same as you And I don't know why But if she asks you Then tell no one What took you from Rap. Atlanta to New York? Um, from well, so I'm, I'm from DC and grew up in Maryland, and then we moved down to Atlanta about five years, and then we moved back to Maryland mm. for um, high school. And uh, I guess it's the you know the old school college situation. I had some irons in the fire, and one of them was SUNY Purchase nice. Acting yeah. Conservatory. How's your acting game? It's good. I got a video dropping tomorrow. It's like a mini little short film. So yeah. There's a little bit of that. What's the premise? What's the song? Um, it's Mood. You okay. guys played mm-hmm. earlier. Um, it's kind of like, I guess all the videos I do, they're trying to just deal with the influences and, and deal with how I've kind of, you know, there's, I mean, there's a long story of like self-identity and trying to figure out who you are, especially as a black man and a young black boy. Like, And so my influences, all the people have kind of like, in many ways, and everyone can relate to it, it, you figure out kind of what you want to do or what you can possibly do. You know, representation kind of matters. So the video is like a cauldron of all these different influences, like Michael Jackson Bad video and mm. um, all the other people I've played for and stuff like that. I mean, you've played for some... You've got, you've you've got, got a, a nice nice list of rosters of collaborators. Good being, people. Yeah. 24, I would say. Three. 23. Oh, <laughs> that's all right. No, no, it's okay. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, I know the Solange tour happened while you were in college, which we both saw you uh, play. Mm-hmm. And then we saw the Bowery Ballroom show. Yeah. And, and a bunch of those. Oh. Yeah. And we've known Dev for a long time from the show and other stuff we, we've done with him. So, from just, a short lived magic career. Yeah. He is awesome at sleight of hand magic. Is he? Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. True story. True so, fact. Oh. Now that you were kind of like you know playing like supporting roles, and now you are really moving into your own kind of stuff, how has like the tables been turned where you supported them and them they are now supporting you? Or what advice have they given you as you start to branch out on your own? Yeah, career? I, I really wouldn't. I really wouldn't say it's 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 like that yeah. yet. I mean, I'm just waiting until Salon drops her album. It's it's going to be phenomenal, like, yeah. and I'm so super stoked to to play and help help her out in any way. It's been cool, I guess, because. 
they all, um, our relationships kind of were founded off of like, we got to meet each other and they knew that I had these talents or things that I could do to help contribute. And, um, part of like the audition processes were like, I played them some of my music. So they kind of know or knew, and I've been talking to Dev since I was 17 and sending him stuff. And it's like, we're all just kind of like friends and family and it's, it's, they're just really supportive. They're like, yeah, right. That's awesome. I mean, it's so nice. I think especially, I would say maybe with like the internet and social media and things like that, like Mm -hmm. it's never been easier to be supportive or to like find collaborations Um, in the same way when you talk about just getting GarageBand, it's just like, all right, I really want to work with you. I'm going to track you down. I think, I think that was your story. Yeah, but it's tricky. It's tricky to to say, because it's, there's a fine line. Like I I like to talk about it. Like my family, we're all from Mississippi and, and Native American and there's, there's a level of like intuition and, and primitive dreams and things like that. I don't want to get into so much, but I'll say this. I wouldn't have contacted any of those people if I didn't really deeply feel like I had a, I had a place with them or to help or can, like, can you, you talk know. a little bit more about that? So for instance, like, uh, I mean, I'll do interviews and people will be like, Oh, or I'll play shows and people are like, you're just like blood orange and stuff. And, and sometimes it can really come off like, you know, uh, uh, divisive or sure. something like that, but but really, it's like you know, Dev and I, we can just sit in a room and talk. Me and Adam, kindness and yeah. Solange, we can talk about like Solange has a shelved country record that she made when she was younger than me. You know what I mean? Like we all have the same kinds of influences and just cut from mm. the same cloth in different corners of the table. Is that I mean, country album all John Denver covers? Not at all. I don't <laughs> believe so at all. They're all original and, like, amazing. Really? Yes. But, I mean, I think, like, the concept of that is, like, as you find your place in the world, it's like you find your people. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, so. I only know from, from traveling and, you know, doing the, the work that I do, it's like you find people and you chat with them, but then, like, you'll sit down next to someone and have a conversation and two hours will go by when normally it's, like, three minutes and you're just like, how, how do I get out of this? And mm-hmm. then you find those people and you never exactly want to let them that. go, yeah. like, yeah. ever. So it's like, and it's rad to find people that you can also work with and be creative with and just you say like four words and like yep right i totally get it or the people that you can trust who are gonna sit who are gonna edit you and say no that's not a good idea oh totally which is rarer than the people who are just like yeah man that's great oh that's so great and they're like are you is that is it really great is it really right. is it really great uh can we hear another song yeah oh wait did you have a thought well i was gonna <laughs> say um you know i never like plan and even now it's not like i have some kind of plan or anything like that i'm only you know there's a great blanche dubois line where she's like i've always um relied on the kindness, on the kindness of strangers. strangers and it's like i i wouldn't have been here if it weren't from my best friend chester who's lord raja on ghostly trying to like tell me like hey man like you, you can really rap and stuff and like you should just rap over these beats and then like that happened and that was mm. a mixtape and then it was like met some folk like james blake and these people were like no you should sing and it's like not that i haven't been doing these things since i was really young but like you know you grow up in a family in a community where you go to church and people are like singing to the hilt and yeah. those people aren't signed like they go back they go home and they raise their kids and it's like really humbling to you so i grew up being like yeah i could do all these things but like i'm only gonna do the one i'm tried and tested in and like right you know so acting was that thing but it's been nice with the support system to feel support it's good um it's good to have encouragement yeah yeah uh so what's the name of the next song uh next song is uh slamming mannequin okay awesome well here we have slamming mannequin live on snacky tunes Shines and let it in Who's to say 
say that you're not falling in love with me, in love with me. You could be my slamming mannequin, the greatest fashions and let it in. Let's say that you're not falling in love with me. Is it in my mind or do you fit in my heart right there? From the window I see so clear your face, your hair. I can't get enough of you and what you do. Be my girl for a day or two now. When we speak, said no one knows. You strike a pose, you let it go. Whether I love you so, I've got to let you know that you could be my slamming mannequin girl. Rock the greatest fashions and let it in, baby. Who's to say that you're not falling in love with me, baby? You can be my slamming mannequin girl. Rock the greatest fashions and let it in, baby. Who's to say that you're not falling in love with me, baby? Oh, girl, you should know that I've got you on my mind. Secret admirer, yeah. Hell, I've been watching you, baby. Girl, you should know. Uh, nice little sample in there. Yeah, all right. Yeah, a little fun. So, uh, yeah, you can go. No, you go. Um, so, out video drops tomorrow. Yes. And uh, what does the rest of your year look like? Um, what would you like it to look like? I might. Well, I'm, uh, man, it might be premature to say. I might be doing. Speaking of George, I might be doing this Purple Rain Meadowlands. Oh yeah, I him. saw that. That looks amazing. I mean, you did, you did Sign of the Times in full, right, at Brooklyn Bowl? Mm-hmm. Yeah, how, how was that? Well, that day, my dad was stuck in Peru and had to have emergency surgery. Oh, no. And then also, at the same time I found that out, I found out that we had been moved early in the slot because none other than Usher and the Roots were going to play right after us. And I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, I mean, and, and who's, said, who's bumping us? Who's bumping? That's fine. No, no, it wasn't even. <laughs> it's funny. But it was just like, at that point, I was such a shell shock. I was like, all right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Did you pull some like alum, like high school, oh, sorry, middle school alum card with Usher? Oh man, I didn't get to I didn't get to meet him, mm. but um, I did have a private powwow with Questlove though, which Is was it, pretty he's awesome. Yeah, especially when he's playing you all the most rare prints you could ever imagine. The stuff that people always thought was deleted, and that's all I'm gonna say on that. Oh mm. man, uh, so you might play with George for the medals, which looks like I mean that sun that Sunday lineup. I mean the weekend looks good, but that Sunday lineup looks. Incredible. Crazy. Explain to yeah. the people what it is. Uh, it's the new Governor Ball uh, Festival in October. Yes. And that Sunday, it's like George doing Purple Rain and Food, but also Chance and Kanye. Mm-hmm. And I mean, th- I mean, that's kind of, I mean, there's more, but you know, that's, that's enough for a Sunday. Bonkers. Yeah. Um, and then you are working on a new LP as well. Sure am. Yeah. Okay. Working on a new LP. It's a lot of, because Crucial, the last EP I put out was, was kind of, it, it was a, the project of college and stuff and so a lot of that was finished and i've been writing the lp for some time now and it's it's coming it's coming it's time it's time to birth it it's time uh and then uh some upcoming shows in august as well right yes um uh, august 10th at come on everybody and i believe august 16th at the house of yes wonderful yeah 
Um, cool. Well, we want to make sure we have time for one more song. Also, congrats oh. on the New York Times. Thank you piece. so much. Yeah, that was like really cool to see as well. And that's like, I mean, damn, dude, twenty three. Hey. Like that's pretty. It's pretty rad. Good intuition. We've, we've always said that. Um, You've really made it as a New Yorker when you get your name in the New York Times. Yeah. Wow. That that also like gets everyone off your back for at least a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah, like, yeah, like it's good. Like, all right, mom, dad. Like, yeah. We're yeah. cool. We're cool. I know. We're I, cool. Got, yeah. I got the copies in my closet. Did you Did you send one to everyone to your brothers just to show them up? Hey, man, wasn't sure if you saw it. Wasn't sure. Hope you're doing well. I dropped. I definitely dropped the link in the group text. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't, um, you can't sign a group text though. Um, so where can people find you? Find your EP. Find your tour date. For, t- tour dates. Get a hold of you. Um, I think all the music's on on Spotify and, and Tidal and what have you, and um, I, I, you can check the Facebook page. It's just dot com slash this is Starchild, and also my um, Twitter is Black Till the Future. It's B L K T I L the Future, like the film, but not the film. And then my Instagram is Bob McFerrin, like the man, but not the man. Uh, got it. And shout out to Sam from Ghostly, yeah, shout and out Amanda to as well, and Amanda Colmanson. Ama- and this next song is the first single on the next LP is dedicated to them. I believe awesome. it said this is the first single off the new album. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Amazing. Uh, well, thanks to Wine Enthusiast Magazine. Darren, good to see you in studio. It's so good. Shout out to uh, the whole Heritage family. Dave, Patrick, Aaron. Hi to Anna and Ornella. Hi to Anna, Ornella. Shout out to Mom and Dad, to Meatball. And thank you for the uh, Roberta's Pizza. Delicious. <laughs> yeah. You went wild. Um, all right. Star Child, take us out. This song is called Hanging On. Snacky too
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.